0: Welcome to Mercy Fellowship. My name's Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, and here at Mercy Fellowship, we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace. And we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ, who love God and who love people. And, and today is that fourth week of Advent. We've, we've looked at uh, hope. We've looked at peace. We've looked at love. And, and, and this week, this is the week of joy. This is this is like, this is a good week. This is the exciting week, right? And, and um, my, my daughter this morning came up while I was studying and she did this little dance. She's like, one week till Christmas morning. And that's not how it went, but she did it better. And it's like, there's this building, there's this anticipation. And I think, not just anticipation, there's an expectation that this season, that this time should be something that's worthy of celebrating. It should lead us to places of excitement, lead us to places of joy. Uh, And yet, we know that's not always the case. So as we've, uh, the last four weeks, walked through these good words that teach us about a greater God, each week we've had to kind of of readjust our definitions for things like hope, peace, love, to, to kind of kind of get us in the right place the way that the Bible talks about it, but, but I, I think for, for joy, I don't know that it requires as much work or explanation. I feel like with joy, meaning, meaning gladness or happiness, I, I feel like in general we just sort of get it. I don't mean we have it, but I think that we get the concept right? Like, like um, for me, in, in particular this year, this fall, um, when the University of Washington beat the Ducks, I, I'm watching it on my television in my basement, and I leapt for joy. No one told me, Chris, stand up, make a scene, invite your kids down, replay the end of the game over and over and over so that they would get the moment. Like I just did it. It was just natural. Like there's, there's things for you that just naturally uh, exude excitement, that naturally exude joy. Like, like at no point during an amazing sunset or sunrise that you're like, I guess I should probably smile at this, right? No, it's just, oh, this is nice. A good meal, you, you smell it, you taste. And that, like nobody coaches you with, mm. it just is. So we do get joy. And I think part of why we get joy is because we know when it's not there or it's inauthentic. And what I mean is, uh, about a, a little over a week from now, every one of you, at some point, Lord Willing will, will open up a Christmas present. And some of you will open up a Christmas present, and you will have to give that reaction of, "Thank you! you I'm so, thank this is so nice! Oh my gosh, Yes, you're right. We do need new filters for our vacuum. This is something that we needed. Like, don't do that. And, and, and for some of you, like, like if your parents uh, or your grandparents, you're going to be the ones giving those gifts. they like, you went out and bought, and you're like, I can't wait for my kid or my grandkid to open it. And they're going to open it up, and they're going to say, thank you. Did you see the other stuff on the list? You know, right? Like, because we, we just get when it's not really there. And so I want us to have an, a definition of Joy. Of being in some regards a response to something that's happened outside of us. Joy is at times a response to, to things that are happening outside of us. We'll start there. And as we as we close this sermon, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of flush that out some more because there's an extra piece to it. But in general, we typically understand how to respond with joy, particularly when things are going well. Yet if our only definition is I'm enjoying something. Then that's gonna leave itself lacking if we just are constantly searching for the next bit of pleasure, the next kind of hit of something to give us a, a, a good feeling because a life lived that way it will never truly satisfy. So what I wanna do this morning in our time together is I want us to look at what the true source of joy is. Like where do we find joy? I want us to, to see how God has promised us joy specifically in Jesus. Um, I want us as well uh, to be able to, to know how we can receive joy joy in Jesus. And then finally, I want us to know how we can have joy in all circumstances. And so we're going to be in a couple of different places in our Bible. We're going to start today in Psalm 104. Um, this is David, and he's, he's writing this, this song, and he says this in Psalm 104 verses 14 and 15. He says, he's talking about the Lord. He says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock, and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen a man's heart. So I don't know how you came in today, but I want you to know and I want us to start rooted in an understanding that the source of joy is the God who created everything. The source of joy is the God who created a world to be enjoyed, to be enjoyed by you, to be enjoyed by me, to be enjoyed by us. That when I mentioned sunrises and I mentioned good meals, like all of those are good ideas from a great God. That everything in life that is, that is good, that brings you happiness and joy is God's idea. And here as you, we look at these verses, it's very specific. It's, it's a God is a God who brings us joy by providing. And so he says, I'm gonna make the grass grow, not so that you can mow it, not so that you can make some like green smoothie. I'm gonna make the grass to grow so that livestock can eat it so you can then kill the cows and have a steak. That's what it's saying, right? Like, like, so you can, you can go have that nice, nice lamb kebab at the Euro place so, so that you can have some bacon now because we're, we're New Testament people, uh, you know, on your breakfast sandwich. Like, all, like, he's saying, this is what I'm doing. And, and then, yeah, there's other crops to, to cultivate because we know at a certain point, like, if you just eat meat, your, your stomach might get a little upset. And so, like, we'll throw in some greens. That's okay. We'll throw in some vegetables. And, or, or as well... What about spices? I mean, man, a good steak's good, but a little salt and pepper's better. A little olive oil's even better. Oh, God, I mean, like, isn't it amazing that God's like, hey, I'm gonna have some animals, I'm gonna have some plants, and then I want you, humanity, who I've created in my image, to also be creative. I want you guys to do things like make beautiful music like this morning. I want you to make spaces beautiful. And then I want you to go out, and I want you to go go, go just, just kill some of these animals and cook them, add some heat to it, and then go grab some of these plants and some herbs and spices and, and put them together, and, and you're going to have some joy. Like, he's inviting us to an adventure of exploring his creation and finding joy in it. And then he says, wine to gladden a man's heart. So now here he's talking about uh, wine throughout the Bible is, is a euphemism for, for wine, um, but it's also a euphemism for, for joy. So it's not, hey, I've had a tough day, let me take a hit of something strong to forget it. This is the, the gladness piece, the celebration piece, the sharing together piece. And then as well, he says, oil to make his face shine, like There's aspects of God's creation and even how we present uh, ourselves uh, that just kind of show some joy. Like, Lord willing, I hope that, that most of us took a shower this morning. God's idea. Okay, like you put some product in your hair, you put some makeup on, you know, whatever, like whatever you did, you, you know, like, like for some reason, like I intended to look like I'm a lumberjack today. I don't know why. I don't cut anything down. I'm not good at anything that requires like manual labor, but like I was just like, all right, I think this will go together. Like he's saying, hey, part of the enjoyment of life is, is how you present yourself and like it's okay to be glad. And then finally he says, bread to strengthen a man's heart. like, I love that he doesn't just say, you know, hey, you're in the wilderness. I'm going to give you your daily bread. Like, yes, God does that. But there's times, right, where like, don't carbs just make things better sometimes, right? Like, I mean, back there, I know we got some Costco chocolate chip cookies, right? That's flour, that's sugar, that's butter, that's chocolate, all those together. I don't know why they put in the oatmeal ones. I don't know why Costco does that. You know, if you work for Costco, stop giving us the oatmeal ones, right? But he's saying, the, the, the bread, yeah, it'll, it'll help you get through the day, but it's gonna strengthen your heart. There's something about a good meal, particularly shared with others, is, is there to bring joy. And so I want you to know, God is the source of all joy, and yet, and yet we know that there's an aspect where we, we aren't living in unending joy, are we? We're not experiencing unending joy, and so while God made everything good, sin enters the world, and we know that there's grief, we know that there's death, we know that there's sin, we know that there's suffering, we know there's things that have been done to us that, that rob us of joy, and, and, and when we're honest, we can say, there's ways that I have been that, that rob us of joy or rob others of joy. Last night my, my wife and I were watching some rom-com movie thing and, and I think the couple had a fight or something and, and she was like, Do you remember one of our first fights? And I was like, No, but I guess I'm about to. She's like, Yeah, yeah, you said this, you said this, and then and then like you know, and then and then I left and you said you said I'm not coming for you. I was like, oh gosh, that was a rookie move right there. And she's like, we're good now. I was like, oh, good, I'm glad. Because that was like 20 years ago. Um, And so, um, 18 years ago. And so, um, but it's just like, there was a separation there. She's like, you were a real jerk then. I'm like, I'm sure that I was. I might be again sometime. No, like, but we know this. We know we're not perfect. We know that sometimes we're the ones that are bringing sin to the table. We know that our souls need to be healed. Like, if you're going to have long-term joy, it's hard to have that when you're feeling shame for things that have been done to you, when, when you have sin that separates you from others, if part of the aspect of joy is communal. And so... I think what happens in, in our world is we get to a place where we're like, okay, I, I know that there's suffering. I know that I'm going to die at one point, and that's a closer for us, uh, some of us, than others. And, and we don't really know all of our days. And so it's like, well, then in that case, I'm going to do, do this. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And so we just pursue hedonism in all of its forms. What's going to make me feel good right now? And it's not sustainable. And as somebody who is a prodigal son and who just kind of you know, joined a fraternity in college and really just kind of sprinted towards everything that I thought would give me short-term happiness, and having my fill, I found myself empty. I think there's moments where we're pursuing pleasure for pleasure's sake, and we find ourselves more thirsty, more empty, not more full or more satisfied. So what are we gonna do? How are, we gonna, how are we gonna navigate this? Because, I mean, if God gave us, he said, I gave you wine to gladden the hearts, and I gave you, I gave you bread for your, for your soul, and all, all these different things, and, and what happens is we can take the good things that God has given us. I mean, like, you like, you love nature, that's great. Like, the good things that God has given us, and we can elevate them to the status of God. And when we do that, we're placing on them a burden whether that's a thing or an experience or a relationship or a person, we're placing on that a burden it wasn't meant to carry because God is the one who's meant to carry our souls. God is the one who we're supposed to be ultimately satisfied in. So instead of enjoying love, we pursue lust. Instead of um, searching for wholeness, we pursue gluttony. Instead of enjoying gladness, we move to addiction. So we're gonna have to Find a way to to move past this. Because what happens is we're trying to enjoy the gifts without enjoying the gift giver. And the gifts themselves that God has given us, yeah, they're for our enjoyment. And they're to strengthen and, and satisfy us in the relationship with the gift giver who is the creator God. So... Number one is where does joy come from? Number two, how has God promised joy? We're gonna see some of this in Isaiah chapter 25. I just, I love this section of scripture. This is, we're still not to the birth of Jesus yet in our timeline here. And so, um, you know, David, you know, several hundred years before Jesus. Here now we're 700 years before Jesus. And there's this prophet who's speaking to God's people who've kind of kind of gone way where they've lost their way a bit. And he's saying, hey, I want you to know that a savior's coming, a king is coming. I want you to know where you can find hope, you looked at that in Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 9, on on God seated on the throne and then sending a child. And here in Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9, he says this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken and it will be said on that day, behold, this is, is our God. We've waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So that, that, that cloud of sin, that veil of darkness, that, that shadow of death, it's really hard to have joy at a party when you're thinking of those things looming over like, I'll just confess, driving in today with whatever that freezing rain stuff was, I was just like, ugh, like, blanket me. Just, just go, go home. Like, I'm, I'll, I'll order a Snuggie. You get two, I think, if you buy one online, right? Like, like that. there's the veil, and then, and then we're here for a while, and like, an actual legit rainbow showed up for a second. And I was like, oh, there There is light. There there is goodness in the world. And so God sees the the veil of darkness, of sin, of death, and his answer for it, he says, is victory. His answer isn't just victory. Like like if you know the gospel, you know the good news uh, of Jesus, you know that he goes to the cross, he takes our sin, he dies on the cross as our sacrifice, and then he raises again to show that he's victorious over death. That he sacrificed for our sins. That he's ascended and he's actually seated on the throne. That he's ruling and reigning. And that he will return and and he'll make all things new. And and that's good news. But but what I love here about these verses in Isaiah is it doesn't just simply say God wins. Like like God doesn't just like hit the jumper, walk out of the gym and, and peace out. God's not like, hey, victory. Good game, guys. He's like, you know what we're doing after we win the war? You know what we're doing after the battle's over? You know what we're doing after sin and death are defeated and gone and vanquished? We are going to have a party. He's like, we're going to have a feast. It's going to be an amazing feast. And so while we're talking about good meals on our own, he's like, this is together. Like, Like, The end of history is the beginning of a forever feast. And he says there's good meat there. There's good wine, well refined. Nothing's coming in a box, right? No boxed wine in heaven. There's no paper plates in heaven. I don't think there's hot dogs in heaven. I don't know. If you like hot dogs, maybe there's hot dogs for you. Sorry, the mic's driving me nuts. Okay. Good meat. Um, my, one of my last meals when I was in marketing, I was in marketing for 11 years before. I've been in ministry now full-time for 11 years, uh, and we had hit this big quarterly bonus mark uh, in our marketing agency, and they, they gave us a bonus, which was great. It helped us buy uh, our first house. Uh, and, and then um, they said, hey, in addition to the bonus, we're going to take you guys out to El Gaucho. You guys know El Gaucho? Steakhouse in downtown Seattle. Uh, this is back when you could go to downtown Seattle, um, and it was, like, safe and stuff. Um... And so, so we went, and, um, and I'll just tell you, I wasn't like, hey, can I have a salad? I was like, no, this is on the company. Like, I'm going to have a steak. Uh, which type of steak? Just like, a, no, no, I want the filet. Sir, would you like a gaucho style with, with, like a, with like a butterfly lobster tail on top and some holiday sauce? Heck, yes, I would. Like, because it's on the company tab. I was like, this is a reward. This is, this is a celebration of victory. I mean, like, our bill that night was insane. I think the company's still going. I don't know if they're profitable that quarter or not after that, that dinner. But our Lord welcomes us to a celebration feast, not because we've accomplished or achieved, but because of what Jesus has accomplished on our place on the cross. He's saying, hey, my son won the battle. We're gonna come and celebrate. Eat, drink, and be merry, for not tomorrow we die, but tomorrow we live forever. And order whatever you want, because I'm dad and I've paid the tab. That's the good news of the gospel. Our fathers paid the tab so that we can be welcomed at the feast, not based on what we've accomplished, but because of what Jesus Christ has done in our place. See, it's not just that they're celebrating. They're celebrating the victory. He's saying because the reproach is gone, the shame is gone, that shadow of sin is gone. When you think about a, a good party, when you think about um, you know going to a wedding feast or something like that, like there's there's always this moment in the party that we talk about. We're like, hey, things are going great, you're liking it, everybody's having a good time, their stomachs are full, everybody's happy, even dad's dancing, like like it's all good. But then there's that like that turn in the party where you're like, oh, we're gonna have to clean this up tomorrow. Oh, if I if I have another piece of pie. That's not gonna go. Oh, if I have one more glass of, ooh, that's not gonna. And that's because there's that shadow that tomorrow it's gonna hurt. At this feast, the hope, the joy that's given is that no, no, tomorrow there's no more tears. Tomorrow there's no sin. There's, there is no gluttony. There is no addiction at this final feast because it's all been taken care of. There's, and you're like, well, I, you know, I have a hard time wanting to celebrate because I know what I've done. I know I don't belong here. And God's like, yeah, I know you don't belong here too. But I paid the tab. So you're welcome. Come, eat, be a part of the family. Your shame is not what defines you anymore. Your sin is not what defines you anymore because God has removed it forever. You're like, God, but I have so much sorrow, I have so much grief, I have so much loss, and I think that's, that, that can be particularly true, I, I think, during this season. I think part of why we we have lights is because of the darkness. Part of why we watch the the happy Hallmark movies or or maybe you're like a rock rib conservative so you're like, I can't do Hallmarks. you've gone to great American family movies um, so that Candace Cameron Bure can do them because she loves Jesus so they're okay. Like, we watch these movies because we don't want to handle the pain. We don't want to deal with the pain and the grief and the sorrow. I just want lots of Christmas lights. I want the big drama to be who wins the cookie contest. And then I know they're going to end up together at the end. And then somebody's going to own an inn or something, right? But we, we do this because we do have grief and we do have sorrow. And it says here, not that God's like, get over it. But instead, like a good father comforts his children and says, I will wipe away every tear. Sin, sorrow, grief will be no more. See, the great celebration is because God's going to be with his people. They've waited for him, it says. They've hoped for him. God saves and God gives. And, and, And this isn't just a very generalized, like, God saves. There's a specific way that, and there's a specific reason that we are celebrating this season, and it is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, our father paid the tab, but our father paid the tab by sending the son. That what we are celebrating in this season is the arrival of Jesus into human history. And so part three is how do we receive joy in Jesus? How do we receive joy in Jesus? There's, there's three ways under this. Um, number one is that Jesus' arrival brings joy. We see this. I might have read this a couple weeks ago, and I might read Luke 2 again on Christmas Eve. I just feel like you could hear Luke 2 on a loop from now until Jesus comes back, and it'd be good news. And so Luke 2, 10 and 11 says, And the angel said to them, this is the angel talking to the shepherds, these guys who are out in the field. It's dark. Their lives have not gone as they planned or hoped because I don't know too many guys back then that were like, I want to be a shepherd because often they were criminals or at least the marginalized and nobody's like, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to like work nights outside all the time. And so here he is, and the angel shows up with blazing light, and he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news of great joy. that will be for all the people like we just read in Isaiah 25. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We, we read about that in Isaiah 9 a couple weeks ago. And so we receive joy because Jesus' arrival brings joy. How many of us are like, when is God going to work? How many of us are, when is God going to show up in my circumstances? When is light going to overcome the darkness for God's people? 700 years have passed since that promise. There have been 400 years of total silence from God. No prophets. God's people have been in and out of exile. They, we, nations had risen. Empires had risen and fell and risen again. And God's people weren't a part of it except to be oppressed and marginalized. And they're like, how long, O oh Lord? And, and then the angel says, it's, it's now. I've, I've got good news I've got good news that that Savior, King of God's people, has arrived. And, and, and anytime you hear good news, it leads to great joy. Like true good news. True, like, like, oh my gosh, I am so excited that this has happened. Leads to great joy. The arrival of Jesus brings us great joy. Number two, Jesus' mission is our joy. John 15, 11, this is Jesus as an adult. He's speaking and teaching to his disciples. And in John 15, verse 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus is summarizing his teaching to, to repent uh, of sin, to, to trust him as Lord and Savior, to, to know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's like, all of my teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, of, of, of all the things about being gentle and lowly, all these, all these different things. He's like, the purpose of everything I'm doing is so that my joy may be with you and that your joy May be full. Jesus' mission is our joy. He's the source of joy. The reason he's the source of joy is because he's the creator. So we're talking about all those the the stakes and all the sunrises and stuff. Like that's Jesus' idea. And and, and then Jesus, unlike us with, with broken relationships, Jesus is in perfect relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is on mission. He's like, hey, I know my people are separated. I know my people are lost. I know my people need hope. I know they're feeling empty. They need the fullness that comes with peace. My my outcome of what I'm going to do is going to lead to joy. He says that joy is who he is, and that what he has is joy, and it would be with us. What I love about this is he has joy, and yet it's also he's acquainted with grief. It also says he's a man of sorrows. When we take communion, we're remembering that by his stripes, by his suffering on the cross, we are healed. The cup being his blood, the bread being his body. Jesus' mission is our joy. And He says this, right? Because sin does lead to separation and and he doesn't want us to know condemnation and disapproval. He's saying, your your sin needs to be dealt with. I'll deal with your sin. But my mission's joy. So don't think for a second that somehow that just being uber-religious and angry about it all the time is what God has for you. That somehow holiness doesn't lead to great joy, but don't think somehow that you can just pursue whatever you want apart from the laws and directions and design of God and think it will ultimately make you happy. All right, number three, Jesus' motivation is joy. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 says this, Jesus' motivation is joy. I mean, Jesus left the throne room of heaven. Jesus came to, you know, first century Israel. Jesus lived in poverty. Jesus was born into a small town and a marginalized family in some pretty wild circumstances. Like, they had to flee, like, political oppression immediately and went back to Egypt. Egypt. He worked a job as a carpenter for years and years and, and lived a life of obscurity. And yet all of that, his public ministry, where yeah, there was some support, but there was also a lot of opposition, and he was reviled. Where ultimately he was betrayed by, by his inner circle. Some of his closest people, one like legit betrayed him. The other's just like, I'm actually super not reliable at all. And he was left alone. And he was arrested and he was beaten and he suffered and he died on the cross. And his motive for that was joy. Like, you don't, you don't just go do that just for like more volunteer hours so you can graduate. Like, It was the ultimate sacrifice, and his motive was joy. His motive was joy because he says, I see your shame, and I hate your shame even more than you do. I despise the shame, so I will bear it so that you can experience joy and honor that I can't stand the separation that there is between you and God, that feeling that you feel in your sin and in your shame, that there's something not right. I can't be with a good, perfect God. I'm not good enough. And so, so I want us to be reunited. I want us to be reconciled. I want us to be together forever in a joyful feast. And so I will endure this to pay the cost so that you can be in the feast. That was his motive. His motive was joy, being with his people. And so, as we said in Psalm uh, 16, that at the right hand of the Father are pleasures forevermore, we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That we will find and we will experience joy as much as we are looking to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. And, And I know that's not easy, And the reason we have to be reminded of it is because our eyes and our thoughts and our hearts wander all sorts of other directions, searching for joy, searching for meaning, searching for happiness, or maybe just running from the pain, or running from the shame, or running from the grief and sorrow. He says, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That because Jesus triumphed on the cross on that day, we can have joy prevailing our trials every day. That leads us to our last verses as we close because I think if we know that joy comes from the Lord and we know that God has promised us joy eternally and that we we can receive joy when we receive Jesus, we still need hope and help for today. Because we are not yet at that forever feast. We are not yet at that heaven where there is no more tears. We're still in a place where people betray us. We're still in a place of sin. We're still in a place where, like, uh, you know, soccer's a thing that people care about today. I don't know, right? All sorts of things that make me go, just, I don't know, up with the world. We know there's things that aren't just right. So we need somehow to be able to endure. And that leads us to our last verses, and we'll close. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, James was the, the half-brother of Jesus who had so many opportunities to deny that Jesus was God, but because he saw and met the resurrected Jesus, he's like, yeah, that, that, that little brother I grew up with, with that fantastic story of a virgin birth, he is God. And, and the Romans and the, and, um, and the Jewish leaders are like, you, you gotta recant that or we're gonna, we're gonna kill you. And he didn't. He endured to the end and he was ultimately martyred. And he writes this in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, let them ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This season is tough for a lot of us. I was talking with our our staff um, uh, earlier this week, um, and we're just having breakfast, kind of celebrating the end of the year. And I said, You know, I I struggle a lot during the holidays, during Christmas, because it's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be joyful. But I was able to recount that over a 10 year stretch, there had been at least six Decembers where it wasn't hope, joy, peace, and love, but it was fear, anxiety, pain, and sorrow. And this isn't one of those years, praise God. But, like, it just kind of leaves this, like, uh, dark feeling. (laughs) Thanks, Tech Team. No, we don't know why that happens. New heavens and new earth, the lights work all the time. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what relationships are no longer. I don't know what suffering you've endured. I don't know what pain there's been. I mean, even just this, I mean, like... We skipped some parties uh, this Christmas just because we're like, yeah, I just kind of want to just hole up and just do our thing. And when we do that, It, you will know, just stay at home. Home is, home is nice. Home is safe. And then we had that storm last week, and, uh, and I had a big roof leak over the Christmas tree. I was like, is this a metaphor? Like, what's, what's going on here? And then the next like couple days later, we we found a foundation leak like filling one of our uh, daughter's bedrooms full of water in the basement. It's just like, ah, this isn't fun. Just give me the Hallmark movies and a feast. But see, if joy is just when the circumstances are good, maybe the house was fine. Maybe we went to the parties and they were great. Maybe everything's hunky-dory and everything's great. Joy for us as Christians has to be more than just a response to the external. Yeah, joy comes from Jesus, like respond to Jesus with joy. But our circumstances will not always lend itself to joy. So James tells the early church, count it all joy even when you're facing trials, even when you're facing difficulties. So that means joy isn't just a response to the external, but it can be an internal disposition that we put on in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our difficulties. Don't hear me wrongly, I'm not saying ignore grief and sorrow. I'm not saying slap on a happy face. No, joy doesn't ignore grief and sorrow. Joy is how we navigate grief and sorrow to get through it to the other side. And so, see, um, one of my favorite traditions in uh, college football um, is the Army-Navy game. And at the end of the Army-Navy game, uh, the loser has to go up to all of their um, uh, cadets uh, and, and they have to sing their, their song. And it's one of the, like, the most heartbreaking things to see, because, but it's also so inspiring because they're learning courage, they're learning steadfastness, that even in the midst of defeat, we are still going to sing about who we are. And then the victors come and they get to sing, and it's, it's I mean, that's an easier song to sing. So some of us, most of us, all of us in this life, we're gonna have to have moments where we're called to sing, even in the midst of defeat. But we have hope that defeat is not final because it's Jesus who's taken it for us and has given us his victory. So as you come forward and you take communion, I want you to remember that Jesus endured the greatest trial so that you could endure and navigate whatever he has for you now. And I want you to know as well that when you take that small meal, it is a shadow of a forever feast where the bread makes the heart glad, where there's good meat, good wine, well aged and well refined, and that we're at our forever home. Hope has been realized. We have the fullness of peace because we have been loved by God through Jesus Christ, we have joy when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.